1: Turn our attention now to the presidential race. Donald Trump. President Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. President Trump. I'm Donald J. Trump. You notice the fake news now, right? The lame stream media right there. Joe
2: Biden. Vice President Biden. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. You hold the key. Four more years of Georgia. Georgia, he's uh, going to find ourselves in a position where... If uh, Trump gets elected... He didn't remember my name. I'm insulted by
3: it. President Trump did a phenomenal uh, job. I think the American people would rather hear about more substantial I subjects. Absolutely. Well, we got to come together.
0: In President Trump's America, we light things up.
3: I don't think anybody's ever seen anything like this in the history of our country politically. Would you shut, shut up, man? This is the most
4: important election in the history of our country. It seems like barely a day goes past without a mention of Donald Trump, Joe Biden, or both in the daily news. Particularly in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election, there are more eyes on the story than ever before. In this episode of Newsfix, how does the politics of a country thousands of kilometres away affect us as Australians? And why should we care about who's in charge of the United States of America? Ahead, we'll talk to 7 News US correspondent Tim Lester, who's on the ground and on the campaign trail in the US. We'll also chat to Sunrise foreign editor Dr Keith Souter and Professor Simon Jackman from the US Studies Centre. Welcome to Newsfix. I'm Damien Huffenden for 7news.com.au. There's no denying that Donald Trump has polarized not only the United States, but the world. Heralded as the ultimate anti establishment candidate, when he ran for president in 2016, Trump's ultimate victory and his four years as the commander in chief have been tainted by allegations of sexual assault, corruption, and nepotism, as well as the Russian collusion investigation and an attempted impeachment. On the other side of the fence is Joe Biden, the former vice president under Barack Obama. Biden's past is a stark contrast to Trump's, a former lawyer and prosecutor turned career politician. He's been criticised for his previous decisions on social security, abortion and law reform, as well as the infamous Hunter Biden laptop saga that's still playing out. So why should we care about American politics here in Australia? We begin with 7 News US correspondent Tim Lester, who spent 17 years covering politics in Canberra. He's now on the campaign trail in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, you are literally weeks into a new assignment in the US. You've hit the ground running with election coverage. How have you found it?
1: Oh, well, I'm, I'm a kid in a lolly shop. <laughs> to be, to be, it's it's wonderful. It's a it's a fabulous, fascinating story. It's a um, it's a foreign environment. I mean, we tend to so much about the U.S. of course is familiar to us because Australians have grown up um, watching U.S. television, and and there's a lot of a uh, lot of things we know, and yet you're so often tripped up during days. Realising that America really is a very different country in a lot of ways, and I, I've worked here before, um, but it was a while ago. And coming back, uh, the differences uh, are standing out again, and it's fascinating. It's and of course it's a big news time, so for a journalist, it is a kid in a lolly shop moment.
4: Oh, you're crisscrossing all over the states. <laughs> you must be. Did you even get over jet lag?
1: Uh, well. No, I'm actually, as you point out, I'm not far in. I'm only two weeks in at yeah. the moment. And um, uh, I'm kind of, I think I'm still finding that my alarm clock is blowing me out of bed. In other words, I mean, I'm not waking up gently and happily and getting into the day. I figure what's happening is I'm still um I'm still got a bit of the Australian time zone left in me, and I'm wanting to sleep because it's about 11 o'clock at night, your time, when we're waking up here, right? So I'm. Uh Uh, I don't think I am fully adjusted, but look, who knows? (laughs)
4: All right. Now, you've obviously spent many years covering politics here in Australia. For those who think that voice sounds familiar, Tim was our uh, political correspondent uh, for Seven News for quite a long time. And before that, you've worked for a number of media outlets, obviously. From your point of view, what are you seeing are the big differences between Australia and the US in terms of politics?
1: Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of practical differences and uh, and and the one that uh, I think most Australians would link in straight away with is the um, uh, the celebrated role of the presidency in this country, and the separation. Um, of the business of electing a president from uh, the election of congress that which the the uh, Americans take very seriously the uh, the separate path that the president takes uh, uh, of course our prime minister is elected um, as a result of the the makeup of the parliament that doesn't happen here of course the president uh, the president, election is quite separate, though on the same day, on November 3rd, Americans will be voting um, uh, for their House of Representatives, their Lower House of Congress and their um, Upper House, their Senate as well. And the makeup of those will be very important to the way in which America is governed and to the amount that the um, President can do over the next four years. So, uh, important differences. Uh, the other uh, big difference to know going into an American election, of course, is that Americans don't have to vote. Um, and that adds a whole layer of, of complexity to, to trying to predict what the outcome is. Um, uh, in Australia, you, um, you don't have to uh, worry too much about polls being out based on who's going to turn up and who's not going to turn up because we're all <laughs> expected to, and, you know, 90% of us do. Um, but in, in the US, the turnout is a critical factor in the way this election goes.
4: Now, it's a bit of a bizarre thing because, obviously, as you said, voting over there uh, is voluntary. Here in Australia, it's mandatory. It seems like over there, you know, voting is celebrated. You get stickers for voting and everyone posts on social media that, you know, I voted. Whereas here in Australia, most people just turn up for the sausage sizzle. It's, it's a bizarre sort of, you know, difference.
1: Yeah, there's a, there are, a, a, I think, a lot of differences in approach um, and, yes, there's a kind of, uh, the, the, well, there's a lot of campaigning to, to get people to turn out. Um, the, the Democrats, I think, in particular, uh, uh, of the view that they will win an election more easily the greater the turnout, that the turnout is is particularly critical to their cause. Uh, uh, Republicans, I think many Republicans would challenge that, but that, that certainly... Um, seems to be the uh, the orthodoxy of American elections and seems to be the case with this one and and interestingly with this one we've seen this massive early turnout of voting that Americans haven't experienced um before with the vote already crossing 50 million now about 139 odd million voted in 2016 Um, So even if we only get the turnout at 2016, um, where the vote is now is quite remarkable and uh, they're predicting a... a, uh, a turnout beyond 150 million based on this early turnout, although it's difficult to know because, of course, when they're not completely sure whether they're seeing people turn out who would have eventually voted anyway but are just turning out early, perhaps because of the pandemic, um, or whether they're seeing a greater enthusiasm for voting this time around, that uh, um, all of the fuss around Donald Trump and and the pandemic and so forth is generating people, uh, pushing people to vote who wouldn't have voted. Uh, We won't know till after November 3rd.
4: Now, there's a lot of talk about polls, obviously. You know, Trump said a lot of fake polls. Uh, The polls have Biden in the lead uh, at the moment, but the same was said about, you know, Hillary Clinton four years ago. You're crisscrossing around the the states. Um, You're talking to some of the voters, um, as we've seen on 7 News. What are you hearing as you travel around? Is it going to be a Biden win or is it going to be another Trump win, do you reckon?
1: Well, uh, I think the first thing to say is um there are a great many Americans who firmly believe that Trump is going to win and win big.'ve spoken to any number of those. In fact, uh, i'm <laughs> I think there there might be some sort of bias in people who want to speak to media um are, are more likely Trump supporters in this country.. Uh, Certainly, that seems to be my experience. I've spoken to a lot in a fortnight, a great many, um, and I reckon I'm getting um, uh, 60, 70% Trump supports. But, but, personal view, I think the polls are likely right or near right. Uh, that's not from any particular experience, except that. Um, I think we can read a couple of things looking at the numbers this time around against the way they were four years ago. Yes, it's true they got it badly wrong four years ago, but I think it's also true that the polls four years ago were more volatile than they have been with Biden. I think Biden's lead has been pretty solid It hasn't moved a lot for a long time. By this stage of the campaign back in 2016, Hillary Clinton's um, lead had bumped around. The seas were choppier in polling world. Um, And also Biden's lead is bigger than Clinton's was. Not a lot, but it is bigger. So it's bigger and it's been more consistent. The one caution is that the swing states that will decide the issue um, uh, tend to be much closer than the national number. The national number is around nine points difference at this stage, eight or nine points in favour of Biden. But if you go into Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Iowa and and Florida, um, the the states that are going to decide it, the uh, the margins aren't typically that big. So. It doesn't require a nine percent swing to Trump to get Trump home. It requires something considerably less, I think.
4: Now as as you're travelling around and obviously speaking to people, are, are Americans surprised that Australia has such interest in their election?
1: Yes. <laughs> Almost <laughs> universally. Almost universally. And it and look, it's a it's a. It is actually a. It does a lot of the heavy lifting for a reporter, that a lot of Americans um, uh, look on you um, uh, just as an ordinary media crew, and the <laughs> the moment you open your mouth, <laughs> there there's there's some t- a mixture of mirth and shock and, <laughs> and, and 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 absolutely interest. Americans are, are, are typically, I think gregarious people, they're outgoing, they're interested um, and they're obliging typically, very obliging and helpful and, and, um, and they're, uh, they're very interested in Australia generally and, and uh, so usually uh, I start if I'm going to talk to somebody on camera that's what we call a vox pop, right? Go up and have a chat to a person. I start, I pretty quickly get out. I'm from Australian television, from Australia's Seven Network. And um, and almost universally, they're very helpful, which is great, and very interested about where we're from.
4: Now, you've covered politics in Australia for so long, and now you're over there. What influence does the US have over us here in Australia, both politically and and uh, also culturally, like, what do you see as those influences?
1: Oh, tremendous influence. Um, uh, and I think uh, the, the influence perhaps that interests me is the influence on our government in Australia and on the way we're governed. Um, uh, and I think we're going to see uh, uh, if there is a change of administration here in the US, we might see that play out in in it reverberating in our government's approach, for example. For example, I think um, uh, the Trump government's approach to uh, climate change in the Paris Climate Accord has allowed, uh, has, if you like, given cover um, to those in Australia who don't want climate action and to the government, our government, being um, uh, holding back in terms of climate action. Uh, I think Biden, if he's true to his word and he does win um, the presidency, will be far more proactive in terms of climate action. It will be interesting to see how much pressure that puts on our government uh, to be more proactive. Um I don't know that that alone, for example, will cause profound change in the Morrison government's climate policy. I wouldn't think it would, but it might make it a little bit more difficult for them to tread the path they've been treading on that policy.
4: We've spoken about um, how when we post things on the 7 News social media, or on YouTube, a lot of Australians go, you know, this is American, we don't care, it doesn't affect us. Why do you think Australians should be interested in, it, in this election and pay attention to what's happening?
1: Well, because I think it's just wrong to say that it doesn't affect us. In fact, um, it's extraordinarily important for us. Um, it has influences on our lives and the way our country is run and the well-being of our country at all kinds of levels. Um, uh, I think there's an incentive on our government and there's an incentive in Australia to believe that it doesn't influence us greatly. Maybe it makes people feel more comfortable or feel like that that we can afford to be detached. From what's happening, you um, know, uh, in governments right around the world, but certainly the one in Washington um, that matters to us. Um, you know, they said, "Remember, this is the president with the red button, right? This is <laughs> this is the superpower. Um, this is and and this is really important in terms of." Um, the way our part of the world is run, about um, how we manage our relationship with china and and um, Asia as it changes quite dramatically um, uh, in our uh, in our lifetimes and and it's important in the way the world's run but i I think I think most thinking people know, even if they don't want to spend a lot of time engaged with U.S. politics or global politics or what's happening elsewhere around the world. I think most people, most people accept that um, decisions in Washington, or for that matter, London, or Beijing, or Paris, or wherever, they they matter for our country. They matter a lot, and and they're mattering more and more as the you know I think as as the issues we face are global ones. So we've got to be here. We've got to look at this stuff. We've got to know it.
4: Um, obviously, you're on the campaign trail at the moment. You've been on for about uh, two weeks now. What is the wildest thing you've seen in the campaign?
1: Mm. The wildest thing? Um. Well, I think Donald Trump is pretty wild to see full stop, right? Um, I think the, the most inexplicable thing is the uh, extent to which the Trump campaign is ploughing ahead with business as usual in spite of the pandemic. Yep. I think that is, that is a um, jaw-dropping at a number of levels. Um, I think he thinks that the, his only way home is to is to carry out the kind of rallies that he's been carrying out and we've been seeing. I think he believes that that is an important part of what he does um, and, and he's got to do that. And I think, too, he believes that his only way home is to tell the American people and to convince the American people that the pandemic is largely beaten and, and that we're, um, uh, we're about to be fine. And we might be, uh, uh, there may be a, um, a, a highly effective vaccine that is about to appear, but I'm not convinced they know that. I think there's a, there, there's an element of guessing in that. Um, so I think think seeing that has been significant. I think seeing the, the um, utter difference in approach between the Trump campaigns and the Biden campaign, they are um, uh, almost mirror opposites of one another at the moment, and that's not to say either is necessarily right or wrong, although I do think the Trump campaign is more I- inexplicable um, uh, to witness um, in, light of the, in light of the pandemic.
4: Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Tim, fascinating to catch up with you. We'll keep watching your reports on 7 News and you're even filing some special reports for 7news.com.au, so we'll look forward to that as well. Stay safe over there, Tim, and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Great chatting, Damien. Good on you, mate, and good luck with the podcast.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh
4: Now to Dr. Keith Sudo, who's a global futurist, foreign affairs editor for Seven Sunrise, and host of his own podcast called Global Truths. Keith, welcome. Thank you. Um, I didn't even know you had your own podcast.
3: Yes, this is. Um, I'm getting into the 21st century. This is the new way of communicating because a lot of people say that with podcasts they can listen when they're walking the dog or in the gym, etc. It's a whole new way of broadcasting and reaching people.
4: Let's start with relations between the US and Australia. We've had four years with Trump, obviously. Um, Eight years prior to that, Biden was VP uh, with Obama as president. How have relations been under each of those administrations? Well, Obama uh,
3: era represented a continuity of American politics. So there was no major change. And you've got to bear in mind, there's a very big foreign affairs establishment in in the United States, which just continues with the ship sailing in the same direction. So you get changes of presidents. You don't get dramatic changes in the relationship between the United States and Australia. Australia is a a major ally of the United States. Australia is the only country to have fought alongside the United States. In every war, the US fought in the 20th century. And of course, we began the 21st century with uh, cooperating with Britain and the United States in the invasion of Iraq in 2003. So we're seen as very loyal, very dependable. You can take Australia for granted. Now, the Trump era has been different. Because Trump generally has just been so erratic and so difficult to work out exactly where he stands. Now, he was promising four years ago to withdraw America from overseas commitments. Um, And so he has been pulling America out. He's still trying to get out of Afghanistan uh, and out of Iraq and Syria he's trying to get out of those commitments and he really wants to focus far more on the United States. But it hasn't been done in a very coherent way because basically the foreign policy establishment, what some people would call the deep state, want to keep America involved in those areas. So that's been one of the problems. The other issue uh, for Trump is the relationship with uh, China. So China is undergoing um, a revival. It's not not a rise of China, it's a return. So um, up until a few centuries ago, one third of global economic activity took place in China. The British then invented the Industrial Revolution in, say, 1750. And then Britain invented the factory method of production and gives us all these manufactured things that we see around us. And at that point, China slipped down; It also fell into chaos with warlords, etc. So what we've seen in the last 70 years has been the revival of China as a major force. Uh, The full name of China is People's Republic of China, PRC, which also stands for Please Remain Calm. And so China has been rebuilding itself in terms of its economy. And at some point in the next few years, we'll have a larger economy than that of the United States. Now, that presents a dilemma for the United States and Australia. So we have um, uh, China as our major trading partner, and yet the United States is our major military ally. We do not want to have to be put in a position where we have to make a choice between one or the other. Now, Trump is ramping up the pressure against China. I think that will also happen if Biden becomes president, because clearly we're on a collision course between the United States and this newly revived China. So that's going to be a real dilemma for us. Now, Trump has not handled this very well. He's highlighted the issue, full marks for that, but it's not handled the issue very well. And it's caused, I think, behind closed doors in Canberra, a lot of concern as to what exactly the Americans are up to.
4: Well, just on that, uh, Trump's obviously been blaming China for COVID-19, calling it the China virus. Um, if he returns to power, what impact is that going to have on their relations? Um, well,
3: I think that China would prefer to have Biden as president. And, um, Uh, I think they could probably uh, do better with with Biden. But Biden is also going to have a few hawks around him who will, as I say, this rise of or return of China is so inevitable that there will be a collision at some point between the United States and China. And so China realises there is this problem. China has been badly damaged by the COVID-19 crisis. Um, It's damaged its trading partners. Okay, China... Is managing to recover but its trading partners are not the United States is not so that's been one blow to China and the second problem has been the damage to brand China I'm amazed now by the anti-Chinese comments that I come across not against the people themselves but just this uh, entity called China and the chaos they've caused the unemployment that we see here in Australia etc. So China has got a, a major problem in trying to rebuild links with the western world. Unfortunately, President Xi is still very much in your face, a very hardline approach. If I were him, I would just dial it down a bit and try to improve relations with the
4: United States no matter who's president, but I'm not we're not seeing that at the moment. We've also seen some penalties against Australia in terms of some tariffs that have been penalising our producers and um, businesses here. Do you think there's any relief in sight for Australia in that respect? Not in the near future. I'm sorry to be so pessimistic.
3: China is using... Issues of uh, these types of sanctions almost as a way of punishing, China, of punishing Australia for being so friendly towards the United States. You know, it's inventing all sorts of reasons why it's not allowing certain stuff to be imported. It's interesting. It's not touching the iron because from China's point of view, you can block Australian red wine Could you buy more of it from France. Right. It's much more difficult to suddenly open up new mines. Eventually, that will happen. China is redesigning the global economy. It's called the Belt and Road Initiative. And so China will be at the centre of the global economy. And so you've got all of these other initiatives underway. You can now, for example, get on a train on the east coast of, of China on the seaboard and get off at the east end of London. Wow. So it's a a whole new railway line through connections which they've been able to build. So China's redesigning the global economy, and at some point it will have opened up the iron mines which exist in Africa, but not at the moment. Not at the moment. So Australia still has uses for it, but red wine and other food stuff, we can buy that elsewhere, but not the iron at the moment.
4: All right, moving off uh, China, mail-in ballots um, are turning out to be a major issue this time around. There's a lot of controversy around that. Um, what, what's going on? Well, I've got to say Donald Trump has made politics interesting.
3: I teach politics to students at Boston University in the United States, and we have record enrolments. And it's not just at Boston. Uh, elsewhere, young Americans, because of 2016, have suddenly taken an incredible interest in what's going on now with American politics. So Trump, for he's, he's he's been very helpful to political scientists <laughs> like myself. So you've already got record numbers of people voting before the actual election day, which is November 3 in the United Something States. Something like 29% at the moment, I think. Oh, it's a higher percentage than that. Wow. Oh, no, it's a very high percentage. Um, and... They, as a rule, you know, you've got to bear in mind that in the United States, voting is not compulsory.
4: Yeah.
3: More Americans used to vote in American Idol than vote in presidential contests. That's amazing. <laughs> 60% of Americans vote, so 40% can't be
4: bothered. Wow. But
3: I think we're going to, this year, see a record turnout, and we already see a record enrollment in these mail-in ballots. Now, there are, there are two types of ballots, and this is what's causing the problem. One is the absentee ballot. In other words, that... And it goes all the way back to the American Civil War in the 1860s. In other words, you're a soldier deployed away from your home. You are therefore allowed to apply for a ballot. You fill in the ballot and you send it back to your home state where it'll be counted. There's probably no no great difficulty with that. The issue that Trump is concerned about is the way in which some states, particularly because of COVID, are saying to people, don't come to the polling station. We will mail the ballot to you. And so Trump is saying this automatic mailing out to people who may have the wrong address or could be stolen in the mail and filled in by other people. I could be dead. It could be dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that um, that's what Trump is about. But there is a bigger issue with Trump. Trump is already trying to discredit the result. So if he does badly after November 3, he will be able to say, there we are, I told you so, it's all a big hoax. The Democrats have been uh, uh, fiddling around with the ballots. So he's already getting ready to discredit the election result because he, deep down perhaps he fears that he's going to to, uh, fail. Um, If he wins, of course, he'll be able to say, well, there we are, we're able to triumph in the end. Uh, But if he he loses, he'll be able to blame this. And then we will have this protracted issue that goes on uh, it's a very complicated way in which the americans conduct their elections you've got to have someone in place by midday on january 20 right. that's in the constitution wow. wow midday january 20 um so you've got to, that that's the deadline but what you could end up with now will be a series of legal challenges both sides are employing lots of lawyers a uh, lawyering up as they say um and if it goes to the supreme court well coincidentally Donald Trump has just appointed three judges to the Supreme Court. They might well look after his interests. You remember back in the year 2000 when we had the dispute over the result between um, Al Gore and George W. Bush. Um, In the end, the dispute was over Florida and the Supreme Court ruled, stop counting in Florida, we will hand the election. This was in January. We will hand the election across to George W. Bush, so he was appointed by the Supreme Court rather than actually being elected by the United States uh, voters
4: there's a, also a lot of uh, speculation around about um, the mail service um, there's been cutbacks in the. US Postal Service, and now there's also reports that a lot of the ballots count won't be counted after a certain date. Do you think it's possible that you know all those cuts have been put in place to help Trump? Well, that's
3: the allegation. Yeah. And the head of the U.S. Postal Service, which, by the way, is a very distinguished organisation, it's older than the Republic, right? It takes you all the way back to the colonial days when Britain was running 13 colonies in North America. Uh, so it's a very distinguished part of the U.S. government, a very old part of the government, but it is it's subject to political appointees and the current head of it is a Trump supporter. So that is obviously a worry, um, And, of course, they've been cutting back, as you say, on the distribution points where you can actually put in the ballots. The basic problem for President Trump, as it is for the Republican Party, is the more people who vote, the greater is the risk of a Republican defeat because it means that the net is being thrown more broadly into the more marginal marginal areas, people of colour, etc. If they get to vote then it reduces the chance of a Trump re-election.
4: Let's talk about the debates and the town halls we've seen over the last uh, last month or so. Do you think those sorts of events have any sway with undecided voters?
3: They used to, but not this time. What is is remarkable this time round is just how few undecided voters there are. People have made their votes up. People are already voting before the, the debates took place. They'd already made up their mind that they'd asked for the ballot forms they were not that worried about hearing what went on. It was just as well because, as you know, the first debate was a a shambles, largely because of President Trump's uh, behaviour. The second one was cancelled because of the COVID crisis. The third one was much more respectable, much more restrained. But by that time, a lot of people had already voted. So there were very few actually to win over. One of the interesting things about President Trump, which is pretty well unique of all recent presidents is that he has never achieved majority support but then the level of his support has never gone below about 40 percent it's been a a steady um, group of people who have supported him for the last four years it's almost a cult so it's going to be very interesting if they trudge through
4: the snow in november to vote Well, just on that, Trump also seems to have a strong supporter base here in Australia. Why do you think people that are thousands of miles away would throw their support behind the leader of another country? Well, I think that Trump,
3: uh, what he has to say, resonates with people. Um, There is concern about the return of China to the international scene. You know, we've already dealt with what they're doing with our farmers. So there's that angle to it. There's also the fact that Trump... Uh, is responding to all the political correctness and all this sort of stuff. People are just worn out by the culture wars. As I say, I teach young Americans. They are now very careful about what they say. They don't want to offend their fellow classmates. You can get deplatformed. And it's amazing what he's done to people on the left um, in terms of making them so anxious, and et cetera. So I think there are a lot of people who are just saying, look, good old Trump, he's saying what we all believe. So yes, I, c- I can see why there is this almost a cult following for him in parts of Australia. I come across it whenever I'm broadcasting that there are people on talkback radio who are great
4: supporters of Trump. And, and of course, Trump is helped because Biden is such a weak performer. There are officials saying that Iran and Russia have sourced voter information um, and sent emails with fake information to voters, but they've stopped short of calling this a hack. What's, what's the issue here? Well, I think, uh, you know, if you go back to 2016,
3: Mrs. Clinton... Um, when she was trying to explain her, default, uh, her defeat, didn't say, I was not a good candidate, which she was, she was a bad candidate. Uh, and so a lot of traditional Democrat voters didn't bother to support her. Instead, she blamed the Russians. Right. Right? So I think there's an element of that going on already, that people are blaming the Russians and Iranians. Now, it may well be they are trying to interfere in the election, but as I've said, a lot of people have already made up their mind, a lot of people have already voted, and... Um, Putin would clearly be a supporter of President Trump. We're not yet sure of the exact relationship between Trump and some of the financial interests in Russia. So I I should imagine that that Putin wants Trump to be re-elected. In the case of Iran, that's a question of internal politics. So you've got a moderate leader in Iran who is probably going to lose his job, and the hardliners want to have a confrontation with the United States. So it may well be that's an issue of internal politics. I don't think that either intervention is really going to have much of an impact on American politics, any
4: more than that happened in 2016. What do you think uh, Australia can expect if Trump returns for a second term? Well,
3: if Trump returns, I think we can expect even more turbulence. Remember, he's not running for re-election now. So he's got four years of a clear run. Who knows uh, what will happen under that? So it'd be certainly instability, instability. Uh, be great problems for the australian government trying to reaffirm the value of the alliance with the united states when there'd be a lot of people just be rolling their eyes saying oh no this is such an embarrassment if if biden gets re-elected um i think it'll be a return to the normal era that we've had under recent presidents before trump um a pivot towards asia which is what um, Uh, President Obama talked about when in fact when he was visiting us in Australia he said that the United States has been too focused on the war on terror and we've got to pay more attention to the rise of China. So there will still be problems for us because clearly as I say the Americans and Chinese are perhaps on a collision course. So there will still be problems but at least there will be more stability I think within the White House.
4: It'll also be a very boring time. Uh, <laughs> you won't have much to really talk about with your students. No, that's exactly <laughs> it. Um, I mean just quickly, how is the relationship between Scott Morrison and Trump at the moment?
3: Um, again, very difficult to work out. Um, Scott Morrison, I think, would see himself ideologically linked up with Trump. Um, but um, you know, with, with Trump, everything is transactional. There is no relationship. Everything is a quid pro quo. We're looking for the deal etc. So the relationships between those two individuals may not be all that clear. But remember, you've got these deep seated uh, uh, centers of power, what would be called the deep state in the United States in Washington, DC, and in Canberra. And you've got people there who are saying we've got to keep together with the United States. Trump is just a passing phenomenon. Don't panic. He'll eventually leave office one way or another. We've got to make sure that our two countries stay on an even keel
4: just finally why should australians be paying attention to this election what is it that we really need to focus on in this presidential race
3: well australians often think about the bottom line and clearly the americans have handled the COVID crisis badly has affected the american economy not wall street forget wall street that's not a good indicator of the state of the american economy Um, But in terms of ordinary Americans, uh, there's no relief package at the moment. Um, So you've got all sorts of problems there. And we rely on the United States as an important part of the international financial system. So we have a vested interest in how well America goes. Remember the old saying that America sneezes and Australia catches a cold? We've therefore, in our own financial interests, got to pay attention to this. Secondly, as I've already indicated, there is this bigger issue between the United States and China, which has direct impact on Australia. So we, we ought to be getting a vote, I think, in the American elections, because pre- uh, whoever is president will have certainly affect Australia's
4: outcome. A bit like Eurovision. That's right, that's right. Um, All right, well, based on everything that you've seen, that you've experienced, that we've talked about, who do you foresee being the next president? Impossible to predict. Um, The advice
3: that I'm giving people is that, okay, Trump is behind in the polls, but but don't think that Biden is necessarily going to win. There are what are called secret Trump voters. In other words, people who will not reveal they're going to vote for Trump, but in the privacy of the election booth, where not even the National Security Agency can spy on you, there you may well decide to vote for Trump. We we just don't know. Trump is a phenomenon. We have never known a president like this for many years. I'm just trying to think, you know, how far you've got to go back to. But they don't even have business people in the White House. Business people know they already run the country. They don't waste time in politics. The last one was uh, Herbert Hoover who made his money mining gold in Western Australia. Wow. And then retired as a very rich person and then went into US politics. Um, And so that was at the eve of the Great Depression. And now we're on the eve of another Great Depression and we've got another business person in the White
4: House. All right. Interesting as always, Dr Keith Suda. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Now, Simon Jackman is the CEO of the United States Study Centre in Sydney. He was born and raised in Brisbane, but is a dual citizen of Australia and the US, so has a unique insight into the situation. Simon, thanks for your time. Can you give us just a quick rundown of your background and your interest in the United States political system?
2: Oh, sure. Um, Well, I grew up a politics nerd in Queensland a long time ago and uh, attracted very much to the data side of the study of politics and my uh, professors at the University of Queensland said, I really ought to go to the United States for that. And so I did, but but I think it begins with uh, trying to peer inside the black box for many people, politics is mysterious and um, sinister even. And uh, I've always been attracted to the idea that with with data and careful study we can unpick things that we say, oh, that's getting very political. Well, let's see if we can get inside what we mean by that using the tools of of science. Uh, With data and statistical analysis being key among them, politics is fundamentally a numbers game, majority rule, the way we uh, draw lines on maps for creating uh, electoral systems Um, the the voting systems preferential voting or all these different mechanisms and uh, institutions we have in the world of democratic politics in particular Um, there's an awful lot we can learn about what's going on there through the application of um, uh, scientific methods and and that's been kind of my life's passion frankly yeah
4: (laughs) <laughs> now, now just on that
2: uh, kids, that's not american politics but so you want to know you want to know about american politics well, i, was I guess say, um,
4: because well the, yeah. the election the american electoral system is vastly different to australia's even though right. we are both technically democracies. so can you explain how that works yeah. and, and how it differs to yeah. australia and i know that's a, that's a big task yeah. but um no. you know how, how do they differ
2: it's pretty straightforward, actually. There's a, there's a couple of key differences for Australians to keep in mind. I think the first one is that they don't have compulsory voting. And, and that just fundamentally changes the rules of the game, um, the way the politicians conduct themselves and the way the parties conduct themselves. Um, the other thing is that um, it's not preferential voting and particularly voting for the, for the presidency not only is it not preferential, um, it's this odd system where the presidential election in particular is is a state-by-state election, and it's winner-take-all virtually in every state, meaning that whoever wins a state, be it by one vote or be it by a million votes, um, you win all of the delegates that are available to that state, and these delegates are allocated to the state, roughly in proportion of the population of the state, not exactly, but pretty close. And it's those delegates, whoever has the most delegates at the end of the election, that's who wins the presidency. So it's not a mass election, at least not directly. It begins as a series of mass elections in each state and then winner take all by state. And then these delegates actually decide who wins. And so what that means, and this is the thing that's really puzzling to a lot of outsiders, is that you can win more votes than your opponent across the entire country, but still lose the election. And so that happened to Hillary Clinton in 2016. She out-polled Donald Trump um, nationally, but Trump won more delegates. Why? Because he won just the right number of states um, uh, by, by very small margins, whereas Hillary Clinton won a huge vote margin in California, but it didn't really matter. She was always going to win California. She didn't need to win it by three million votes or whatever she won it by. And so we ended up in this situation where Hillary Clinton beat Trump handily, uh, but Trump won the election. And that's happened a few times in American history. It actually happens in Australia. Uh, every now and then, we sometimes see the winner of a House of Representatives election, not you know, you can win the seats but not win the votes. And so you can be you can form a government in the House of Representatives, even though you got less votes than your opponent. And so that happened in nineteen ninety eight when the John Howard government was re-elected. They narrowly uh, were outpolled by the Labor Party, and then Labor did it to the coalition back in 1990. So w- we see these things, they're nowhere near as um, kind of prominent or extreme as what we sometimes see in America. Um, but but this is one of the quirks of these systems of voting that every country has, but the United States one um, is, is particularly quirky and uh, when it comes to the, uh, voting for the president. And indeed, you know, if Trump is reelected, that's exactly how he will do it. He will almost certainly get fewer votes than Joe Biden. And what this election is really all about is, is Trump going to win the delegate count? And and that means, is he going to pick off just the, the right states by just the right margins and, um, and translate what is nationally a pretty weak hand into a winning hand uh, with that delegate count?
4: So when we talk about delegates obviously we're talking about the electoral college which we hear so much that's, about.
2: That's it. The electoral college. Yep, yep.
4: Now, you're a statistician, you're a data-driven guy. Do you think that is a a, a sensible way to do an election? Like <laughs> is that is that a way that is fairly representative of the people?
2: Um no is the is the short literal answer. Uh it was designed it was like all these things. It was a political compromise thrashed out when America was being formed so that, you know, big states wouldn't dominate small states so that free states wouldn't dominate the slave states of the South by giving states power in the electorate. Now, the Australian Constitution has a few little quirks like this, too. We, Tasmania has 12 seats in the Senate. All right, as does New South Wales. So big disparities in population, but we have a, at least the Australian Senate. Um, we we allocate we allocate political power to the states, not to the. People, if you will, we dilute the the votes of people in New South Wales relative in Victoria and, and big states relative to um, a, a small state like Tasmania. The other thing is Tasmania gets five seats in the House of Reps. That's guaranteed by the Constitution of Australia that no matter how small Tasmania's population might be relative to the mainland states, it's always going to have at least five seats in in the House of Reps. So every all around the democratic world, we see these things. The, the really odd one about the United States is the way it maps onto when it when it really sorts out by uh, the partisanship and the preferences of the people in these states, and, and and geography counts for a lot now in the United States. So the 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 South and the plain states, the farm states, are, are very strong Republican uh, parts of the country, and the the big urban states uh, on the coast in particular have become overwhelmingly democratic. So, you know, from a Democrat's perspective, it seems horribly unfair that so much of their vote is unquote" locked up in California or locked up in New York state and not spread more efficiently across the country. Um, but at various points in American history, the shoe will be on the other foot, but we're, we're living through a moment now where it seems that Republicans, that, that particular system, um, does confer some advantage. You know, small states tend to be Republican states in the United States at the moment, and but it hasn't always been that way.
4: Now, we've spoken about the polls and particularly about uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, loss back in 2016. Trump's... Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> well, Trump's spending a lot of time now saying that the polls that say Joe Biden's in the lead and that he's going to win, they're fake news, they're fake polls. You know, his polls show that he's going to win. You know, are there any basis for the claims that the polls are wrong, or is it just the fact that the electoral college will get involved that means he still might win?
2: Um, the electoral college will be involved, and he's and he still might win. But um, if you look at the polls right now in the states, he really needs to win in order to pull this off, losing the vote nationally but winning the electoral college. The, the public polling suggests he's not gonna do it. The public polling is pointing at states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, um, North Carolina, states that Trump won last time that had previously gone for Obama. And and the public polling is saying Trump is behind uh, and behind by a lot. Now the problem is (laughs) the poll said exactly the same thing (laughs) in virtually all those states and by almost uncannily almost the same margins. In, in 2016 saying that Hillary Clinton was going to win those states and on the back of that everybody thought well Hillary Clinton's likely to win this election and so many analysts in you know that I'm in touch with uh, and journalists all around the world everybody is treading very carefully at these polls because you don't want to make the same mistake twice and 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 Trump I saw it myself today there's some interviews from his staff as well suggesting that um you know their private polling is showing them you know, not just in front, but comfortably in front. And I and my sense is, boy, I would love to see those polls because the be, yeah because all the public polling, right? There's nothing in the public polling that suggests that that's that's what's going to happen now. Again, we just keep coming back to, well, geez, you know, they got it right in 16. They eked out these very narrow wins and and got over the line in the electoral college. You know, maybe maybe it's going to happen again. And the scenario that everybody is is thinking that, you know, if Trump wins, he, here's how it happens. It's that just as he did in 16, he's able to pull off the couch and into the polling place people that typically don't have a lot to do with politics, that don't take polls, that aren't really engaged with politics. But for various reasons, Donald Trump excites them. Um, he's, He's an outsider. He's entertaining. He's outrageous. He's promising to shake things up and to make America great again. And Trump found a whole bunch of people like that in 16. The question is, are the pollsters now counting them properly, or are there even more people like that out there that Trump is going to bring into the electorate in a way that will surprise even the best pollsters who are sort of trying to catch up to 2016? To a lot of pollsters will tell you they've done that. If Trump wins, it'll be by confounding the pollsters by doing exactly what he did in 16, and that is just bringing people into the American political system that typically don't vote and And hence aren't very visible to pollsters or the political parties, and that's what this election is boiling down to.
4: Now, we're talking a bit there about the people who aren't engaged in politics. Stepping outside of the yep. US, it seems there's a lot of interest in US politics around the world, and, and particularly in Australia now, ever since Trump took office. And I, I believe in a way that we've never quite seen before, particularly with Obama in office. Like, we cared, obviously. It was great. You know, we, we've had visits from US presidents in the past and whatever. But there seems to be a, a real interest in the day in, day out. Um, functions of US politics this time around. Is, is that something that Trump's brought with him? You know, he's, he's bringing in people who previously just weren't engaged in politics?
2: Well, you're right. It's happening in Australia too. And I mean, for us at the US Study Centre, but I'm sure for you at Channel 7 and colleagues all over media in Australia, but media all over the world, the Trump bump in, in ratings, in viewership, in levels of interest in 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 news and in current affairs is is just gone through the roof and and why is that yes it is it is it is trump specific and yes there was a bump with obama um uh, people the spectacle, right—the historical significance of an African American man um, becoming president of the United States, uh, and 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 winning re-election as well, and and what that meant historically, and coming after the W, the George W. Bush presidency, which was not a popular presidency, particularly outside the United States, um, it, it, was, it was thought to represent. Sort of a, a new day, a, a new era for the United States, and and Trump. I mean, he, just the spectacle. He's so unconventional and so outrageous um, that there is. Look, it's a mix of entertainment value for some people, but then I think also there's a there's a sense that you know the United. We all look to the United States. It's the it's the it's the most powerful democracy on the planet. It is Australia's. By a country mile, our most important foreign relationship strategically in defense in trade and investment as well uh, you name a domain um, you know and and our connection to the United States through that domain be it entertainment, be it culture, be it social media be it uh, be it sports that people follow um, there is so much connectivity. Uh, between Australia and the United States, both in the government level and but also out among ordinary people, um, that we can't help but take pay a ton of attention to what's going on there and thinking about what it might mean for Australia, both in an official way. Are they is the defence alliance intact? Uh, what is what is uh, this aggression towards China coming out of the United States? Where is that coming from? What does it mean for Australia? Right through to the cultural trends. Um, uh, de- um, if, if the United States, the world's most powerful democracy, um, its leader is starting to call into question um, the legitimacy and the validity of, of some of those institutions, that can't help but reverberate here. Just given all the the, the way we are plugged in and consuming so much American culture and the, and the crossover, uh, the transfer of ideas both on the left and the right of politics into Australia, the way that you know. Um, It took the Black Lives Matter rallies in the United States, uh, provoked, um, you know, people getting in the middle of a pandemic here in Australia, people taking to the streets here to protest similar issues here in Australia. Um, You look at Me Too, you look at Occupy Wall Street, you look at, on the right, um, libertarian ideas that are really driving conservative thought in Australia, find their inspiration from their American colleagues. So there's tons of those connections and crossover and I think that's fueling it as well. And Trump's just this crazy spectacle that just won't stop every eight hours, it seems. There's a, new, there's a new cycle within a new cycle within a new cycle with Trump. And so this crazy pace of disruption overlaid on what is already such thick architecture between Australia and the United States, I think, helps explain the insanely high levels of interest we're seeing uh, from Australians uh, with respect to this presidential election.
4: Uh, now, one of the, I, I guess it's a criticism we get here when we put up stories about the United States, about Trump, about Biden, is this is Australia, you know, why do we care about America? From, from your studies and from your point of view, why should Australians care about this election and the outcome of this presidential election?
2: Yeah, this, look, US-China competition in particular is going to shape the rest of the 21st century. Um, where the US lands on climate change is going to shape the future, potentially, of, of <laughs> the planet, you might even argue. Um, there is there's an awful lot at stake um, in indirect ways out of, out of what happens there. Uh, and then I go back to you know what I was just talking about earlier, and that is the, the strategic relationship we have at a government-to-government level. Australian security policy is premised on the alliance with the United States, of, of there being this incredibly big security defence backstop from from the United States. And every Australian government constantly has to ask how reliable and how deep and, and what will be the capabilities that would be brought to bear should push ever come to shove in the region. That That's your obligation, when you're a senior public servant charged with defense or foreign affairs, when you're in in the military, when you're a political leader in Australia, in, in the national government. And, and that has been true in Australian strategic thinking since World War II. And when the US and China start, uh, the heat in that relationship turns up, of course, there are consequences for Australia. And and Australia has its own view about about China's assertiveness and is pursuing its own interests, but it is equally interested in what is America's mindset towards China and how America is prosecuting its grievances with China and the way they complement or cut across Australia's national interests. And so in government, um, it, it is of immense importance who becomes President of the United States, and in particular, what will the differences be in the way, say, a a second Trump administration will pursue foreign policy? How much of a priority will it give to the Indo-Pacific and and this region uh, versus versus a Biden administration? And so so it's not just a spectator sport um, for people who are thinking about Australia's national security and our, our future, our prosperity. Um, it, it is far from a spectator sport. There is there's intense scrutiny, looking for policy signals about areas of emphasis. Does the Biden administration think it's got to restore its alliances with NATO and take some of the focus away from the Indo-Pacific that the Trump administration has been uh, bringing to bear here? And then, then I guess the other big question is how quickly can America recover from COVID? And again, that's that's. Im- tied up in the election outcome. Um, Biden said, you know, we, we expect to see a more coordinated policy response um, should he um, win the election and, and you know, depending on the, the timing of a, the arrival of a vaccine. But Australia and indeed the global economy needs the American economy to get up back up on its feet and start firing again. That's important for Australia's economic prosperity in the long run. Um, But also, again, it feeds into the security quotient as well. Uh, An America that is crippled by COVID and its economy is crippled by COVID, at some point that starts to erode the ability of the United States to be a global superpower. And again, that starts to impact Australia's national interests as well. So there's there's quite a few vectors there before. And then we get to the climate change story too. Um, Biden is talking a huge game on climate change, $1.7 trillion in investment in renewable technologies and a transition to a renewable future over 10 years. That will be game changing. It's, Australia will find that its nearest and closest ally has vaulted from it being on its right flank with respect to climate change, scepticism about climate change and scepticism about multilateral agreements and whatnot, to being exactly the opposite. And, and there can't help but be a knock-on effect for climate change policy in this country if if the United States, as big and as powerful and as uh, thought leading it is, vaults in the way that Biden is talking about. So there are three really big areas of connection that I think transcend kind of the spectator sport aspect of this, like what is Trump going to do today, Uh, drama. There's some really big issues grinding away, perhaps not always making the headlines, but of of vital importance to Australia and its long-term future.
4: Well, I guess the, the biggest and uh, final question for you is as a data-driven person, as someone who knows uh, the United States, <laughs> as someone who works at you the going? U.S. Yeah. Study Centre, uh, I guess less yeah. of an opinion and, and more of based on what you've seen and, and your experience, yeah. you know, who are you sure. feeling will be the next president of the United States?
2: Look, probably Biden, um, and I'll and I. That's as far as I can go because, let me say this: if this were any other election, if I was seeing this stream of poll results, the rates of early voting, um, the 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 incumbents uh, Trump's uh, approval ratings, things like that, if I was seeing all of that data. And it wasn't Donald Trump, and I didn't have the experience of the numbers being wrong just four years ago the way they were. You would you would look at this stream of data and you go, "This isn't even close. This thing is over. It is done. Let's move on." Um, but because it's Donald Trump, and uh, and because it's um, coming four years after that big miss by some of those state by state polls, in particular, I can't I can't say Trump's out of it, and so. You know some of the big forecasters in the U.S. Nate Silver at five thirty-eight and uh, and uh, G. Elliot Morris, The Economist gang, and you know there's a whole bunch of them, the real clear people as well. You know I, I've interacted with these people professionally, you know, over the years, and I see the numbers they're putting out now. You know that that Trump's got basically on the low end it might be eight percent, up to a high end of about fifteen. I actually think it's higher than that. I think it's you know. I'd put it somewhere closer to 30% chance of winning because not only might the polls be wrong, but we're in this crazy environment of massive voter turnout trying to find its way through to the ballot box in the middle of a pandemic. No one actually knows how that cashes out. Big differences in mail voting and people standing in lines and all this sort of stuff all over the country. And then all the legal challenges as to the validity of... You know, casting a mail ballot this way or that way, or when does the ballot have to arrive? I just think there's all this other room the polls could be right, but you know but there's just all this other room for slippage, if you will, between uh what people are telling the pollsters and what's going to show up on the scoreboard at the at the at the end of the election. so I cannot count donald Trump out and i'm I'm just nowhere near as bullish um about biden's chances i think on balance yeah probably but not quite as bullish as as some of the other forecasters i see
4: out there and let's face it no one knows how to rally the troops like trump
2: yeah, yeah, right. And this, we're seeing exactly what he did four years ago. These, and he is going to all the states he needs. Right, it is Florida, it is Pennsylvania, um, and the the guy is doing three rallies a day. A seventy four year old, he is thrashing it in the home stretch. And um, and just as he did in sixteen, and and uh, and the the nightmare for the Dems is that he, he he pulls out. As I said earlier, these these occasional voters, he is just pulling people out of the woodwork uh and and getting them to vote in these in these kind of more rural a little more sparsely populated parts of these uh swing states just like he did in 16 you can't rule that out there are a lot of people out there who don't vote yet that he could he could draw on the trick is is it too little too late and you know we'll know in about you know about this time next week i suppose
4: all right, well, it's been a fascinating insight into the. US election and I know uh, you know we'll be certainly here watching it and covering it here for seven. Simon Jackman from the United States Studies Center, thank you for your time.
2: Well Damien, thank you so much. A pleasure.
4: So there you have it. Plenty of reasons for you to keep across the presidential race. You can stay up to date at 7news.com.au and of course 7 News will have extensive coverage as the count unfolds. I'm Damien Haffenden and this has been News Fix for 7news.com.au.